So uh, I was in Florida, and I got something you probably... I got, I got a sunburn this week. Anybody get a sunburn this week? Yeah, I got sunburned. It was very warm, sunny. Imagine a nice day here in the middle of July, middle of August kind of thing. That's what Florida is this time of year. So had a couple of great kind of aha moments there, little experiences. Took my grandkids fishing. There's a fishing pier that goes out in the Gulf of Mexico. It's about an hour and a half away, but... but um, I don't have to have a license to go there. And so we made this great fishing cart, and we went out there, and we threw the lines out. It was wonderful. And the kids started pulling in a shark, and then they pulled in some mackerel, and then they pulled in a, uh, a flounder. And I hadn't caught anything yet, which is okay, because it's for the grandkids. But my pole sitting there, it's a new pole. I bought it about a year ago, big, long pole, and there's a rail around this whole wharf that goes out there a few hundred yards. And suddenly something hits my pole. I'm sitting right next to it. And if something hits my pole so hard that the tip bends down... Then the back of the pole comes up, and over the railing goes my fishing pole. And the last I saw it, it was moving itself out into the Gulf of Mexico. I don't know what was on there, but uh, it was big. But the real kind of awakening moment for me was uh, when I go there, of course I go to see the grandkids, but we also, the Lord has worked it out for us. It's just a miracle that we, we own a little home there now. And it's something that we're looking at one day when the Lord allows us to retire, that's where we'll go. And we're, I'm fixing it up a little bit. And I put in an outside sidewalk this last week, kind of the pavers. And of course, it's been wintertime, and I haven't been riding my bike nearly as much as I normally do, not quite in the shape that I would like to be. And as I'm out there working, I look over in the street, and there's a turkey vulture watching me. <laughs> I didn't think anything about it. And then I realized, why is he watching me so intently? And we're in the middle of a subdivision, okay? We're not talking about way out there. He's watching me. I thought, does he know, do I look that bad? And so I, I kept work, and all of a sudden he flew off. And I thought, good, he's gone. And I thought, I wonder if he's going to get some friends. <laughs> so he never came back. I thought, that's good. The next day I'm out there putting down the, the pavers, and I happened to look up. He was circling overhead. And I thought, this is not good, okay? Um, I've got to get back in shape. Because when the turkey vultures are circling you, this is not good. And I'm not looking to, to you know, get a six-pack. I'm not looking to drop 40. I just, I just want to be in good enough shape that I work outside, the vultures don't circle overhead. So I have a goal. That was my Florida trip. We are right now in the middle of a series based on Colossians, and it's based simply on this question right here. Ready? Here it is. It's to the letter of the Colossians, who is this guy and why does he matter? What this is, is Paul wrote a letter to the little church of Colossae. Remember, church Colossae was a little bitty town. Think Sio, okay? Don't think Salem. Don't think Portland. Think Sio, a little bitty, teeny, tiny town. Paul wrote lots of letters. Some of them we have. Some of them we don't have. You know, we know that he wrote a letter to the Laodiceans, which is a much bigger town, very important town. That letter doesn't even exist. This teeny tiny town, the letter he wrote to them, we still have. And the reason we still have it is because our Father wants us to have it. There's something in this book that we really need to know. If there's something in the, the book of, to the Laodiceans that we needed to know, we'd still have it. Whatever was in there, don't need. This one, we need. And the question that was circling around the church at that time was, okay, who really was Jesus? We started this whole series, remember, looking at the Lone Ranger. What was the question people asked after the Lone Ranger left? Who was that masked man anyway? 
Okay, Jesus had come and he'd spent a few years and, and while he was doing things, even his disciples would go, who is this guy? I don't get this. When he left after he died and, and he rose again and then was resurrected and ascended to the Father, we knew some things about him, but we didn't fully understand who he was. And so the church for the first several decades, in fact, for the first few hundred years, is asking this question. Okay, we know that he's important. Who is he really? What's going on? Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossae, and I'll tell you why he wrote it and why it was important next week. Because next week we begin to actually take a look at why he matters. Today we're going to kind of finish up who he is. Next week we're going to take a look at, okay, why this matters to us. And I'll explain to you some of the things going on in that church that caused him to write this that are important for us today, okay? So that's why we're looking at this one. Who is Jesus? And, and the whole first chapter and a half of Colossians is all about who this guy is, all right? He writes this letter to set everybody straight and to help them understand. I'm going to do something for you here because it's been a couple of weeks. I need you to sit back and relax. If you want to open up your Bibles, open it up to the book of Colossians. If you want to open up your apps, your, your iPhones, your iPads. This is how I normally read my Bible now with my little iPhone or iPad. So it's okay. Open up your app or sit back and listen. Because I want to begin at the beginning and read for you the passages that we're going to be looking at. We have looked at. We're going to look at this morning from the book of Colossians. You can read along right back here as I go. Here it is, the book of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Let's stop right there. This church had a reputation. Does our church have a reputation? I mean, what if Paul were writing this today and he wrote a letter to this and he said, grace and peace to you. We pray for you always because we have heard fill in the blank. What would he say? You know what I think he'd say about most churches? We've never heard of you. We have no idea what you do or what impact you make. I would love to think that when Paul were writing to this church, he would say, you know, I've heard of your love for your community. I've heard of the extra mile that you go to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the poor and the hurting. I've heard that you bring in the homeless. You let them live there. That you use the after-school programs to touch the broken people. That you have classes that help people grow in Jesus Christ. We've heard you've done well. Good job. Now, that's what I hope he writes. But I guess we'll find out one day when I talk with him. Okay, moving on. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Again, let's stop just for a second. Remember, Paul never went to this church ever. It was started, Paul had his own disciples. He would go to the major cities and he would send out people to the little bitty towns, the Sios of this world, okay? The Scots Mills, no offense, all right, how's that? And he would send them out there. And one of them happened to be a guy named Epaphras who went out to Colossae and started a church. 
and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So now Epaphras comes back to Paul and says, we've got a great church going on. Let me tell you about these people. Really good. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, next week, he's going to start to get specific. Today, we'll finish up, who is Jesus? Next week, why? He just said right here, this is why he matters. We want you to live a life that's changed. Next week, we're going to talk specifically about that changed life. So that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And all the people said, Amen. That's great news. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him whole things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Remember, firstborn doesn't mean... He was born before us because he wasn't born at all. Firstborn was that position of authority. The firstborn in that, in that culture got everything. The firstborn got it all. The secondborn, good luck. When it says he was the firstborn, it means he has it all. That's what they're talking about. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith. Established and firm. Not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard about and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Now I rejoice in what, what I have suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. Hmm. We're going to talk about that. Paul just said, you know, Christ didn't go far enough, and I'm filling it up. What in the world does he mean? We'll get there. Don't worry. For the sake of the body, which is his church, I become its servant. By the commission of God that God gave to me to present you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There it is. Right in there. In all of those passages we've been looking at is that synopsis, that understanding of who Jesus is. The next verse, which we'll start with next week, begins to say, okay, now let me tell you 
how to live. And in every one of Paul's, almost every one of Paul's letters, there's something like that. He usually starts with theology, sometimes for two or three chapters, and then at some point says, okay, now based on what I just told you, let me tell you how you live. That's what we're going to find out next week. Next week is when he says, okay, based on what I just said, this is what you do with it. So that'll be next Sunday morning. Here we go. What we want to finish up today and just kind of remind ourselves and, and move forward a little bit because we didn't finish this the last time we got together. What we're going to talk about is who he is. So here it is. Ready? He is, right off the bat, first of all, my Savior. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. This is where we started. This is the most basic level. This is all you really need to know. Now, it's better if you know more because you're going to be strengthened. There's going to be a lot more power in your life. But if this is all you know, if you just know that he's your Savior, congratulations, because this is the very basic understanding And really all that is important, remember this is what Colossians said, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemptions, the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven. And if you don't think you're a sinner, if you don't realize you're a sinner, well, let's face it, you do, don't you? Most of us have no problem understanding we're sinners and we need to be forgiven and here comes the great word of god that says you know what on the basic level let me tell you what my son does jesus comes and in him your sins are forgiven and you are a child of god now that friends if you tell people nothing else if you understand about jesus nothing else this is the very basic understanding of what we need to know we talked about that a couple weeks ago. By the way, uh, most of these sermons will be on the, uh, the podcast if, this week. If you want to take a look at those, you can go to www.salemfirst.com. Go to our podcast section and uh, all the sermons. Most of the sermons for the last two years are right there if you want to just click on them and listen. All right? But also we need to know he is not just our, our Savior, which is wonderful. He is also this. He's the eternal God. Now, this is the one that blows our minds. How can he be God? Why is he God? Why isn't he just a man that just kind of God used to save us? And that's not what he is. He's not just a man. He is God. And that's why we talked about this simple fact. If you want to know what God is like, anybody who says, I wonder what God is like, I'd scratch my head and go, you've got to be kidding me. God has shown us exactly what he's like. God has written four books called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and there you go. And says, this is what he's like. You want to know what makes God happy? Read the Gospels. You want to know what makes God sad? You want to know what makes him angry? You want to know his, what's important to him? Jesus is God. You want to understand God, you understand Jesus. This is what Paul says in, in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay. Do you want to know what God is like? Then you read about Jesus. It's that simple. That's why... Time and time again, I say, please read the Gospels. Read them backwards and forwards and inside out. Know the story so well that if I start a story, you can complete it. Because you know it that well. Because that's what God is like. Okay. But there's also this. He's God. He is the creator. Okay. He is the creator of everything. This is what Scripture says in, in Colossians. For everything 
absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank and rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this very moment. Okay, now let me explain what it means when we say he's creator. First of all, he is the reason I exist. He's the source of my existence. He's the one who called me into existence. He's the one who created everything. Remember, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. I don't know where you stand on the evolution, creation, but I don't really care because it is what it is. And I'm, I imagine I'm going to get up to heaven and my father's going to correct me on so many things. But I will tell you the one place where the evolution theory breaks down, evolution may be able to explain how things develop, but evolution can't explain how things start. Evolution can't explain how there was nothing, and then there was something. Now, once there's something, then maybe evolution can explain how that something evolved into something else. Maybe that's true. But they can only go back so far, and then it stops. Well, we, we go back even farther. Everything was created by Jesus Christ. He spoke it into existence. He's the reason I exist. In other words, he's the source of that existence. But it's more than that. He's also the reason I continue to exist. Take a look at this. He was there before and even came into it. And he holds it all together right up to this very moment. But that's what the Bible says. What's keeping this universe together? Well, it's the hand of Jesus Christ. He's, he's the power that keeps it all going. Gravity, I don't know, all the powers from the electron, and the little molecule. I don't know what you want to call it, except I know what the Bible calls it, Jesus. He's keeping it all. To, and if he let go, we'd all just go. Whoosh. Now, when I finally grasped that, and I'm a sciencey kind of guy, I love that kind of stuff. When I finally grasped that, I realized that all those years that I was in rebellion against God, all those years that I gave myself over to sin, he was holding me together. Now, if I had been God, I would have said, oh, I don't want that. You're gone. Talk about the love and mercy and grace of my Father. For if he'd done that, I'd been lost forever. But even in the midst of my rebellion, even in the midst of, even today when we sin and break his heart, he is the one who is holding us together while we do it. Because he loves us. And he wants to bring us to repentance and grace and mercy and forgiveness. The Bible says this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word according to the writer in Hebrews sustaining everything. God holds it together. He's the creator. He's the reason I exist. He's the reason I continue to exist. And guess what? He's also this. He's the purpose of my existence. He is the purpose. Why do I live? I live for him. I live because he created me. I continue to live because he holds me together. And he holds me together for him because that's why I live. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. I was created to know God through Jesus. You were created to know God through Jesus. We were created to know God through Jesus. Our purpose in life is to know God through Jesus Christ. Now, there are other things we're going to do. 
But if you have found Jesus Christ, you have found your purpose. And if you have not found Jesus Christ, you're still searching for the purpose of your life. And we can introduce you to Jesus just like that. And you will have found your purpose. Okay? Now, that's actually kind of a review of where we've been. That kind of sums up all the couple of weeks that we've been talking about this. Now we're going to get into the new territory. As this passage just talks about who he is. Are you ready? Now, this one may be a little weird, but we'll talk about it and explain it. He is... My personal spiritual trainer. And you go, where did you get that? Right? Well, let me show you where I got it. This is the passage that says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now, how do we describe Jesus as the head of the church? The problem we have is, is our language. I'm, I'm searching for language that will help us understand what it means. For instance, we could say, Jesus is Lord. Remember we used to sing the song, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the... Does anybody know what Lord means today? You have no concept, do you? If you watch Down Abbey, then you, you've seen the Lord, but there, it's not that kind of Lord. We don't connect with Lord any longer. And then somebody said, well, the way we should do it is he, he's our personal CEO. Because maybe that's something we can relate to. Except, or maybe he's our boss. How's that? He's the boss of the church and he's the boss of my life. That doesn't have the best connotation, does it? And plus, at the, at the other end of that is the fact that uh, boss can leave you a little list and say, okay, this is what I want you to do today. Go do it. That's not Jesus at all. So I have asked Cora Slokowski. Where are you, Cora? I, uh, I gave you a fair warning there. She is. Cora, come on up here. Because I heard that Cora Slokowski, along with a few other people, have a personal trainer every month. Is it Monday through Friday? Saturday. Saturday. Okay. And it is uh, what time in the morning? They make a 5.30 in the morning, these studies? How about that? Here it is. Now, you get together with this group of people, and there's a personal trainer who, tell me about this personal trainer. Why are you using a personal trainer to get into shape? What does he do for you? Well, for me, you know, I've tried to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. I've got all the equipment in my basement. Right. But for some reason, I can't get from the upstairs to the downstairs to the mm-hmm. equipment. Okay. So... For some reason, I can roll out of bed, put my gym clothes on, drive into town, go to this warehouse, and Evan owns a studio called Fit Studio. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's just a simple guy. Does he leave you a list of things you need to do, and then you just show up and you do this list because he's not there, he's gone? No, he's there. <laughs> oh, and why is that important? Because when you want to give up, he's there. Ah, and does he show you the proper way to do it as well? Yes. Okay. Does he keep you from hurting yourself? Absolutely. Does he push you beyond what you think your limits would be? Absolutely. Yes. And what, what, could you do this without a personal trainer? I've found I can't. Okay. I've got to partner up. Okay. And you also have friends who gather with you, right? It's not just you. That's correct. How many people join you in this? Um, well, I think, I don't know, we've got about 10 or 12 that are showing up, and we call each other our accountability partners. Great. Yeah. Now, you know what the Bible would call that? The Bible would call that a church. 
And your spiritual trainer would be Jesus Christ, who is the head, who doesn't just leave you a list of things to do, but he works with you and in your life and helps you do it and shows you how to do it correctly and keeps you from hurting yourself and gives you the encouragement to say, you can do this. You can even do more than you think you can do. Sound familiar? Very much. There we go. That's why Jesus is our spiritual trainer. You learned something today, didn't you? Cora, thank you so much. I appreciate that. There it is. That's why when I read this and I said he's the head of the church, I had to think, okay, how do we get this across that he's not just the CEO who sends down these orders and says, do this, do this, do that, but he's intimately and actively involved in what we do for him. Right alongside, giving that encouragement, telling us that we can do better than we think we can do. And not condemning us, helping us. He is our spiritual trainer. What do you think of that? There you go. Now you got it. All right, let's move on. So uh, how do we, let's continue. What, what else is he? He's, he's all these things, our Savior, he's our, our, our God, our Creator, and our personal spiritual trainer. He is my Redeemer. Now, I understand that this may sound very similar to the very first one when we said that, that He is my Savior. But the word Savior doesn't really bring into the whole idea of how He did it. Just that He did it. There's forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus, but not an explanation of why. And a little bit later on, Paul lets us know why He is our Redeemer. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus died for you. He became your Savior and He became my Savior through the redemptive act of dying for us. And on the most basic level, the the most basic that I can understand, and it still doesn't make sense to me, somehow the sins that I had committed were worthy of death. But I can't pay that price. My Father didn't want me to pay that price. And so he sent his own son to pay that price because he could do it. He he could take that death and rise again. He could handle those sins. He could take the sins right on on himself and and pay the penalty for all of that and, and then rise victorious from it. If I paid the penalty for my sins, I could do that, but I wouldn't rise victorious. I would never rise again. And he did it. And just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate that act once again in the church calendar as we get close to Palm Sunday and Easter. He is my Savior, but He's my Savior because He's my Redeemer, because He died for me and paid my price. That's just amazing. Has anybody ever paid a price like that for you? Never. Never. I've had people give me wonderful gifts and I'm so appreciative, but nobody ever paid that kind of price for me. 
And not only that, see, some people give me gifts and they give me great things, but they don't really know who I am. And I want to think, if you knew all the secret things I think, if you knew all the things I'd done, you'd take that gift back. You'd say, I don't want you to have that, you creep. My father knew it all, and my Savior knew it all. And he said, you know what? Knowing all that you think, knowing all that you've done, knowing the secret things that nobody in the universe will ever know but me, I'll still die for you. Now that is a redeemer. But he's also this, okay? He is my hope. Did you notice as we were reading this passage, something that's very important. He says, all this is yours. You get this, uh, this, this personal spiritual trainer. You get a savior. You get a redeemer. This is a creator that holds you all together. It's all wonderful. You get all of that, my friends. If. Don't you hate the word if? Oops, you mean there's a little responsibility here? That's what the word if means, isn't it? That's kind of responsible. I will give you $5, here's a gift. Or I'll give you $5 if, and you know something's coming. All right. Now, what he asks for in this if is not us to earn it. He doesn't say if you go out and be really good. That would be bad news. If you deserve it. You can have all of this if you're really holy. You can do all this if you go to church every Sunday. You can do this if you give a lot of money to the church. None of that's going to happen because that's not what he says. This is what he says. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held on in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and have been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He says, look, here's the if. My son has done all of this for you. And it is all yours if you will just believe it, trust him, and continue to trust him. Why are you saved? Why do you think you're going to heaven? Why do you think you have eternal life? How you answer that question will determine where you are in this passage. Why do you think you have eternal life? Well, because I'm a good person. Wrong. Wrong answer. Because I haven't murdered anybody. Wrong. Because I'm better than the person who lives next door to me. And I really am. I'm much better than that person. They, I understand why they may go to hell. Actually, it's not true because my next door neighbors are probably better men than I am. But anyway, I can understand why that person over there is going to hell, but not me. I'm, I'm so much better than that. Why do you have eternal life? Jesus died for me because of Jesus. He did it for me, and I trust him. I don't trust what I've done. I don't trust what I believe. I don't trust my church. I don't trust my pastor. Very smart. That's very, very wise advice, by the way. I trust Jesus. Good. And then Paul says, will you continue in that? That's how we all come to faith. Do you want to know? Because we do believe. Okay, now some of you don't. That's fine. You're welcome here. It's great. You can be a member. I love it. That's okay. We happen to believe that you can walk away from your faith. That when you're saved, that doesn't mean you're always going to be saved. It's very difficult to do. It's a hard thing to do. It isn't easy. But you can do it. And the people that I believe are most at risk for walking over from their faith are probably sitting in this room right now. Because you started by faith, didn't you? You came into the church saying, I'm so unworthy. Please, God, forgive me. He said, wonderful. 
Now you've been working for God for 45 years, and you think you've earned it. God, look what I've done. Let me show you the committees I've served on, and I just know how much you love committees, Father. Look at all the classes I've taught. Look at all the money I've given. Look at all that. I now have earned my eternal life because I've been so faithful to you. If you continue in your faith, okay, you can work. Walt, you're 91, okay? I've got a few more years to get there. Or you're almost 91. How about that? I'm almost 60. How's that? So uh, you've got a few more years on me. If I live for 91 and I serve God for the next 31 years and I preach the gospel, I will never, never, never be worthy of the eternal life. If God asks me and says, now why are you coming into heaven? Why do you get eternal life? I will always have to say, Jesus. But, but look at all, what all you did. No. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus to begin with. Jesus in the middle. Jesus at the end. He's my hope. Jesus. And there is no other reason. That's why I can serve him for the next 31 years, which will be a total then of, oh my word, I don't know, what is it? 70-something more years of serving Jesus Christ. 75 years. And somebody else on that very day can receive Jesus Christ and die that hour. And we're both going to go right into heaven. Because it's Jesus. It's not Jesus plus 75 years of faithfulness. It's Jesus. It's Jesus where you got him for 30 seconds or it's Jesus where you have him for 75 years. It's just Jesus. He is my hope. But he's also more than that. He's my mission. Now we get to that passage that, that seemed a little strange for Paul to write. We're going to explain it. Remember that passage that says this? Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. Huh? I thought it was all done on the cross. Salvation was all done on the cross, but the work of Jesus Christ was not finished on the cross. Now, I'm going to tell you that, and you may think I'm a heretic. The work of Jesus Christ was not finished on the cross, because the work of Jesus Christ was not simply to die for us. The work of Jesus Christ was to reach the world. And that work isn't done. Not yet. I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to, the, to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints. Here it is. Paul, when he says he's filling up what was lacking, what he meant was simply this. Jesus Christ ministered for about three years, and when he was done, and he died on the cross, and that Work of salvation was complete and finished as he rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. That is done. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, indicating, okay, it's over. I don't have to do this. He even on the cross cried out, Tedelestai, which means it is finished or the debt is paid. Okay, he did that. And when he was finished, he had about 11 disciples and a few other followers. So where'd you all come from? Where'd I come from? Because I wasn't one of those guys. The work of Jesus Christ wasn't just simply to die. The work of Jesus Christ was to die so that we could have that relationship with Father and then to proclaim to the entire world that incredible good news that through Him you can have a relationship with your Father. Through Him you can be reconciled to God. And that work continues. So Paul says, as he, because Paul at this point in time, by the way, is in prison. He's been arrested. He's sitting in Rome. 
We don't think he was executed at this time. We think he probably got out, went to Spain, came back, then he was rearrested, then he was finally executed. You can see that in Second uh, Timothy. Kind of a depressed prophet because he knows this is it. Okay, he's done. Here, he probably is going to get out. He probably has hope that he's going to get out. But he's writing from prison. He's gone through a lot to preach the gospel. And he says, you know what? Jesus worked hard to bring this gospel and then to die for us. Now it's my turn to work hard to bring that gospel and the message of Jesus to the rest of the world. He's my mission. That's my job. Now, you can say, well, that's your job because you're the paid preacher. No, no, no. My job is to serve you, to help you go out and do that job, okay? (laughs) The book of Ephesians let us know that pastors are here to equip the saints for the work of service. Let's face it, if if it's all up to me to go out there and, and to build the kingdom and to spread the word, I'm one guy. What can I do? Look around you. We have a couple hundred people sitting in this room. This week, we got a couple hundred influencers all around this area in every job and in homes and in neighborhoods. You get to spread the word of the kingdom of God. He is my mission. The mission that he had is the mission that I am now called to continue. Just as he went into the world to say, let me give you some good news. Now he's my mission and I go into the world to say, let me give you some really, really good news. God knows and loves you, and you can know him. And if you want to know what to preach, what do you preach? Well, Jesus is not only my mission, he's also my message. (laughs) I preach Jesus. I just preach the simplicity of Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. Jesus wants to know you. He died for you. Will you receive Jesus Christ? You don't have to go into all those convoluted explanations. Paul tried that one time in Athens, the city of Athens. He tried to come with this great philosophical argument, and it bombed. So when he went to the next town, which is the town of Corinth, he came and he said to them, Look, I, I, I came to you knowing nothing except Jesus and him crucified. His message wasn't, wow, all this full of, his message was Jesus. It's amazing the power of that name. Remember we used to sing that, that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Remember that song? There's truth in that one. You ever heard of, of a guy named Tony Campolo? Tony Campolo was this incredible guy. He ha- I, I got the privilege of having him as one of my professors in my doctoral program over here at uh, George Fox. Spent a weekend with Tony, and wow, I mean, this guy is, he's high energy. I, one weekend of Tony Campolo is enough, trust me, uh, to last for a long, long time. And he, I remember the story that he was telling. He, he had a, an accountability group, and a group of guys that would just get together and pray, and he he travels a lot. And so he, before he traveled, he got on this plane. He went with his accountability groups and they met and they were praying and it was just an incredible power. So much so that when he got on the plane, he just, you know, sitting next to this guy in the plane. And I don't know if you talk to the people around you when you're on a plane. Nowadays, most people just put on the earphones and everything. For the entire flight, he was just almost looking at this guy going, Jesus, Jesus, in his mind, just sending this whole word of Jesus, thinking, this is silly. At the end of the flight, the first words out of this guy's mouth when he looks at Tony and says, can you tell me how to be saved? Jesus, 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 Jesus. You don't have to know all this stuff, guys. You don't have to go through all the classes and and get all the philosophy and the theology. You just have to know 
You just have to proclaim Jesus. And if somebody says, well, well, how? Your answer is, I don't know. It's just Jesus. But, but, but why does this? I don't know. I can't tell you why. All I can tell you is Jesus, the sweetest name I know. He's your answer. How is he my I don't know how is your answer. He's your answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Now, we have, that was what, 1970s, Andrew, Andrew Couch, as I remember, yeah. Think of all the great songs that have been written over the last, I don't know, 40 years. And yet this one simple song written in the 1970s, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. How? I don't know. Why? I don't know. How does it work? I don't know. I just know he is. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me share with you Jesus. Let me give you Jesus. Let me tell you how to have a relationship with Jesus. Will everything in your life make sense? Absolutely not. Of course not. Will all your problems be fixed? No. He'll help you deal with them. How? I don't know. I just know he is the answer. That's why it says this. We proclaim him. We proclaim him. Admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. What did Paul say he proclaims? Some great theology, some great philosophy, some some deep hypostatic union of, of how this all came about? He said, no, let me tell you what we proclaim. We proclaim him, Jesus Christ, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present to everyone perfect. You want to present people perfect in Christ? You preach Jesus. So let's wrap up this first section. Because next week, we'll get back and we'll say, okay, now why does he matter? Next week is where the rubber hits the road. Next week is when he starts stepping on toes. So, boy, wear shoes with really good, you know, coverings over your toes. Because Paul always begins to say, okay, isn't this great theology? Let me tell you how it's supposed to work in your life. That's when we go, ouch, oh, yeah. That's next week. Give you fair warning. It'll be great. But next week, why he matters. Here we go. Let's wrap it up with this one. And I want to stop right here to tell you, I have now been your pastor 10 years Okay. March 1st, 2004, I became your pastor. I now hold the record. No pastor has stayed here more than 10 years. So I met, and we're stuck with each other for many years to come, so don't worry about that one. On the first Sunday I was here, I told you this. Mike, uh, let's see, oh, wait, 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 okay, Mike, you were, you were just here a little while ago, but Mike, he's somewhere around here. Anyway, he would know if I asked him, okay, what did I say that very first Sunday? Are you ready? Here we go. This is it. He is the main thing. And the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. That's what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 1, verse, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, look, Jesus is it. He's the main thing. He's what it's all about. And let me tell you, the hardest part of your life is keeping him center. 
Because if you can keep him centered, if you can take him and keep him centered, if you can take the main thing in all the universe and make it the main thing of your life, then you've done the main thing you were created to do. That's who this guy is. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We appreciate what you've done in our lives. Jesus, we understand you are the main thing of the entire universe. And what we're trying to do is to make sure that you are the main thing in everything in our lives. That's what we struggle to do. Thank you, Father, so very much. Father, as we continue to look at this book and now we look at the practicals of of how that works out within our lives, open our hearts to all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Amen. Caleb.